0: thrill seekers radio we are part of authors on the air global radio network Uh, i am alex dolan and this episode of thrill seekers and all other episodes are available at www.alexdolan.com that's www.alexdolan.com this week i'm joined by uh by doug lyle dp lyle and this is the first show of the new year. So happy new year, everybody. And Doug, welcome to the show again.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Alex.
0: Yeah. Um, So you now have 18 books, and we're going to dig into that. But um, you just had a book called Skin in the Game come out, which was book one in the new series. And uh, I loved it and would love to talk to you about it.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad you did. That makes me feel good. No, no, it was great. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny
0: because as a football fan and as you are a football fan, I assumed, of course, that this was going to be related to something different <laughs> than it
1: was. <laughs> it's not close to football. <laughs>
0: but yeah, uh, tell tell everyone what it's about.
1: Well, it's, uh, obviously it's a darker thriller. It's a more traditional thriller and, uh, it stars two characters, uh, Bobby Kane and Harper McCoy. And briefly they were uh, both abandoned or purchased in Harper's case, <laughs> uh, as, as infants and were raised together. Harper's a year older, but they were raised by this itinerant gypsy like family that traveled around the South. And, um, uh, we called them Irish travelers growing up, but uh, you know, they're not really Roma gypsies. But basically, they're they're a group that travels around and puts on shows and does odd jobs like construction work and yard work to make a living and pay for the family, and they hunt and fish out and live off the land. Oh, and by the way, they are also con artists, pickpockets, and thieves. So <laughs> you put all that together, that was their childhood. Bobby became a expert with knives and by age seven was known as Bobby Blade for his expertise in uh throwing knives, Harper Harper often the target holding the things he was throwing at. And Harper was a con artist who could convince anybody of anything, oh, and pick your pocket while you were looking her in the face. But when they were about 12 years old, uh, the family was taken down by the FBI, and they got stuck in an orphanage, then they got adopted by two families, and then didn't see each other for 15 years. And they met in the Middle East, where Harper was with the CIA running Black Ops. And Bobby was inserted at the last minute in this mission to take out a bomb maker because, um, and they hadn't seen each other and met there. Bobby could get in and out of any place and kill quietly, and that became his job with the military, so to speak. So he did a lot of black ops, special ops stuff. So they reunited at that time and then left the military and uh, formed this uh, little uh, dyad of two people that fixes the things that can't be fixed. And that's kind of the genesis of their background. In this first story, they're hired by a retired Air Force general whose granddaughter, a Vanderbilt University student, disappears. And they are hired to track her down, find out what happened, and make things right.
0: One of the things I like about this is that um, I, I love how, how dark you went on this. Um, and that probably speaks more to my own flaws as a human being <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right yeah um, but i also i like the like i liked bobby and, and harper's story I, I i love reading books where i feel like not like there it's a book that not everyone would write and i like the fact that the the origin of bobby Kane and harper mccoy you know it just was like so f- there just was a lot of imagination. It was, it's just an original story, which I, which I love. So I wanted to ask, you know, what was, what was your inspiration and your process for creating these characters and, and kind of like, and, and how did you know it was an, it was the, the grain that would start a new series? You know, what, what did you go through?
1: Yeah. Well, I've kind of thought about characters like this for many, many years and, and creating a story. In fact, four or five years ago, I came up with this story but I wasn't ready to write it yet, and I had to mull on it some more. But what I liked about it is that uh, when I grew up as a child in North Alabama, we, we had these travelers that came through town, and they would come in literally on buckboards and uh, horse drawn carriages. And they would set up at the county uh, fair park, and they would put on shows and stuff. And I mean, I remember the first time I saw them going by, my, I asked my dad, I said, Who are those people? He said, Well, they're gypsies, they're Irish travelers and they just travel around and do I said, Really? And I was always fascinated by that. Then later in medical school, they would show up at the medical center twice a year to have babies. That was a whole nother story. So I saw them up close and personal then. But this culture, this traveling, living off the land, criminal, if you will, culture always fascinated me. And I wanted these two characters to have black military skills. I wanted them to be trained in the dark arts, con artists, psyops, assassinations, doing whatever was necessary to solve a problem that was very difficult to solve, point of the pier stuff. But then I liked the fact that a lot of their skills, a lot of their training came from their childhood, came from their growing up, the skills they were taught from climbing trees, to hunting, to sneaking in and out of houses, to Con artist, a pickpocket, all of these things to come together for these two characters to be unique and uniquely positioned to solve dark problems.
0: So when you're creating both of these characters, how how much do you feel what do you what do you go through to know enough about them to feel like, all right, this is this is a series now. Yeah, I want to read about talk- these guys for several books.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I thought about them a lot, so I kind of knew the characters. I kind of knew the story. But you never know how those two things are going to marry when you actually put pen to paper, so to, so to speak. And since the last five or six books I've written, I don't outline. I just start writing. I, start, I have a few scenes in mind, and I just start writing. And this one just really unfolded very, very quickly, and I thought very, very well. And then, of course, you do the first draft very fast. And it usually comes to about 60,000, 70,000 words when I finished the first draft. And then when you go back through it the second time, now you really know the characters. You know the story better. You know the environment better. And now you can flesh out the story. And it came out at about 90,000 words when I finished. Um, And when I finished, I said, you know, this worked. I like this. I really like this a lot. And like you, everybody that's read it says, Oh my goodness, I love these characters. I love this story. I love, it. and you know, as a writer, you know, you spend so much time alone and you don't really know, you don't really know when you give that thing wings and turn it loose. Is this going to be stupid? or people going to say, Oh my God, you've lost your mind. Go away. Or are they going to embrace it? And uh, so far everybody's embraced it. So I'm glad the vision worked, <laughs> I sure had fun with it. And the second in the series um, is already completed. Uh, it's completed and is going through editing right now, and it'll be out next October. And, uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't wait for it.
0: <laughs> so how do you already have – how many titles do you have mapped out at this point? Or is it – are you just kind of well, – is it just, just one and two? two? Right okay. now.
1: The second one the second one's called Prior Bad Acts, and now I'm switching back over and I'm writing the fifth Jake Longley book. I tr- I'm trying to write a book every six months. And of course, Jake Longley is comedic thrillers, and it's very serendipitous, and there's a lot of happenstance, and there's a lot of situational comedy in it, and a lot of humor, and a lot of back and forth. And uh, people always ask me, you know, Jake and Nicole, how did you create those characters? Well, it, it goes back to uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, all those movies yeah, that i yeah, yeah. Tracy and Hepburn had this great dynamic where they were equals but they bannered with each other all the time and were always poking each other with sticks. Well, that's the way Jake and Nicole are. You switch over to Kane and Harper, they're totally different. You know, they're not biological they're brother and sisters. I mean, they grew up sleeping in the same bed. They grew up doing the same things together. They grew up with this family traveling around. So they have a different dynamic. I mean, there's no sexual tension. There's, no, there's none of that stuff Well, because they're brother and sister. But yet there's that dynamic between them, but they are both professional. This one is not that humorous. <laughs> there's not a lot of humor in their banner. It's more, let's get this job done.
0: Was it refreshing to shift to a tone that was so different?
1: Yeah, it actually was. And and I find that now that I'm back on another Jake book, I find that it's good to step away uh, from the comedic stuff and write the darker stuff. And now that I'm, I'm back to a Jake book, I'm, I'm getting back into the humor vein and i like those two types of writing they're totally different but yet there's a lot of the same elements um yeah i like that because i think it keeps you from getting stale you know i uh, dub walker books i wrote three of them and by the time i wrote three of them i said you know you know if a story may come along it would be a dub walker book but right now i'm kind of done with this you know i want to move on i want to do something different this dynamic going back and forth between these two seems to be something that I think is going to work for a while.
0: There is something about just like pure chemistry that um, I I think that, I mean, immediately when I think about chemistry, I think about something like, uh, like Butch and the Sundance Kid, or, Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the reasons that people liked once upon a time in Hollywood that came out last year, for the people that, there were a lot of people that hated that movie, but right. for the people that liked it, I think that, you know, one of the bedrock for that was like the, just the chemistry, just the relationship sure. of two people.
1: Absolutely. Um, and at the yeah. end of the day, that's what story really all about is character. Right. I mean, you know, every story has been told. There's only two somebody comes, somebody goes. That's it. You know, somebody shows up in <laughs> somebody's life and messes it up, or somebody goes somewhere, stranger in a strange land, and gets involved in something. Those are the only two stories there are. Every story can come down to that, really. Right. So it's what you do with that. And it comes down to the characters. You know, every plot's been been done. Every plot's been done. But every character hasn't been done. So what I like about private investigators as it is, because they can be anything. They can be anything.
0: You mean like anything in terms of, of the, the of human beings behind
1: them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like like Jake's a goofball and Bobby is an assassin. They're two entirely different people, but they're both, if you will, private investigators. Not in the PI license. This is what we do. In fact, I like the fact that they're not that because it means that they can really paint outside the lines.
0: And w- one of the reasons that I actually like private investigators is that just the, the you know the job becomes a function of a way to introduce that person into aberrant human behavior and different you know and different stressors in life and like that becomes a mirror for us on how would how would we we react to that and um like you're saying that not every character has been done and and part of the enjoyment i get out of reading different characters is seeing kind of what happens when you stick that person in this intractable situation and how do they react to it
1: Yeah, and I think as opposed to writing about cops, which is great, because cops are great characters, too. Yeah. Uh, But this gives you a lot more leeway leeway in how to do it. Because, I mean, you know, investigators can be Miss Marple. They can be Kinsey Millholm. They can be Stephanie Plum. Or they can be uh, Harry Bosch. They can be anywhere in between. and, And you have all these various people with various skills and various life sense. But yet they're all involved in trying to solve a crime. They do it different ways. Jake, I've always portrayed, he is a reluctant PI. He doesn't really want to have anything to do with this, but he gets drugged into it all the time. Whereas Kane and Harper, once they get an assignment, they are laser focused. They know what to do. They know how to do it. It's just a matter of solving this problem. So the, the dynamic of each is totally different. But that's the beauty of private investigators.
0: It seemed like when you when you talked about how you didn't write this with an outline but it also seemed like when I read it it seemed like there was a lot of research that you you did in a good way on black ops, human trafficking. Um, What kind of research did you do for this book and and what did you you know what did you learn from it?
1: Yeah well a lot of it I already know because I basically (laughs) I basically record every true crime series known to man on television <laughs> and watch them religiously. <laughs> do you have favorites? Live PD. I'm addicted to it. It's So okay. good. Right. it's such a slice of life that you never see. Uh, there's so many goofy people out there. It's unbelievable. And the jobs that cops do is just, oh my God, there's not a chance in hell I do it. It's so thankless and so hard. Yeah. But, uh, But I do all that, plus all my forensic research background from writing all those books and and police procedure. I'm pretty well versed in all of that. But uh, usually usually my research revolves around points here, like the Sears training that Bobby went through. I had to do a little bit of work on that, a little bit on the black ops, um, a little bit on breaking and entering and things like that, uh, uh, technical stuff, cell phone stuff, do all that. And I always, but mainly it comes back down to geography. I have to research the geography of the area that I'm going to set it because the geography needs to ring true. And, you know, like the Royal Pains books, I've never been to the Hamptons, but I wrote two books set in the Hamptons. Uh, So you have to do that kind of research. and, And I like geography. I like setting. I like the place that a story is set. And so I do more research probably in that segment of a story than I do in any other part, because I think that setting needs to be a character.
0: And and for the record, um, you're not missing anything with the
1: Hamptons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've never been. I'll probably never go. uh, Have you ever been to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard? Let's put it that
0: way. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket?
1: I've been to Martha's Vineyard.
0: Then you've been to the Hamptons.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martha's Vineyard's pretty cool. Yeah. A pretty cool place, yeah.
0: Um, so, one of the as somebody who ha- writes, you're really prolific. You also write. You write fiction and nonfiction. What What is the difference between writing a fiction, uh, writing a novel, and writing nonfiction for you?
1: Um, I usually say, uh, you tell people they're exactly the same, only different. Um, when you're writing nonfiction, you have to first get all the information together. You have to organize the information that you're going to put into that. It has to have a structure. It has to have chapters about this and about that and about like forensics for dummies. You know, everything has to be about something, whether it's trace evidence or DNA or blood spatter, everything. You have to organize all of that information. And once you've done that, then you go back on your rewrite and you add your writerly skills, if you will, to make it more palatable and not a textbook so people can read it and understand it and say, wow, that's pretty cool. I like that fact. I like this. This is something I now understand. I didn't understand before, uh, with fiction. I usually have, like I said, a couple of scenes and a character and I start writing and I have enough experience, if you will, now with writing, I'm working on what the 21st book now. And, um, it, 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 you have to, um, you have to have that story in place, you have to have those characters in place, but the details you research as you go along. And so you do research, but you do it in the context of the story rather than gathering information and organizing it and then adding the writerly stuff to it. So they both require research. It's just done one one up front and one as you as you fly fly through the story. Yeah, that's and, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, And to give you, again, I want to remind everybody we're talking to D.P. Lyle, and the new book is Skin in the Game, which is great. And um, I want to take a quick break and remind everybody you're listening to Thrill Seekers. We're part of Authors in the Air, Global Radio Network. This is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, LLC. Uh, We're talking to D.P. Lyle. Uh, The new book is Skin in the Game. Uh, I also wanted to we were talking about kind of the details that go into researching uh and the difference between fiction and nonfiction, to give people a taste of of your expertise i saw you post something online the other day and it was a great uh bit of trivia that i didn't know which was that a man had tried to pass a drug test by bringing in i think his dog's urine
1: Yeah, it was a girl that did that, but yeah, I thought thought it was hysterical. I I mean, people always get their friends to pee in a a test tube and then try to sneak it by, but you know, they go watch them, you know, they go watch them do this for drug testing. So they try to sneak it in. There's all kinds of gadgets they can put in their pants to make it look like they're doing this when they're really doing that. Uh, But I've never heard anybody use dog urine to do it. And then to my mind, it came, and how do you collect that? You
0: know? see, I think that the the collection i can I could see i mean while it wouldn't be easy, I can wrap my no. head around it. I guess a part of it is like I've never been so Jones in to pass a drug test that I've been right. desperate enough for those measures, but also i it made me think like well what it what it is what do they test that actually would reveal that that's non human urine
1: uh well, I mean you know they can they can they can test the the DNA for no, nothing else and determine that you know it's dog dog cells in there, not human oh, cells. Oh, okay, all right. But uh, but I think there probably was something more to it than that. The story that I read wasn't all that deeply involved in how it happened. But I think probably somebody snitched and somebody found. That oh, okay,
0: something. all right. That, that's so how things usually work. People open their they, mouths, you know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's not and and again like there's somebody who will go nameless that i'm an acquaintance uh with who i know basically paid for someone else's urine to
1: pass a drug test oh sure which i thought there's a market for it there's a market for it absolutely yeah 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 you know but you know people people who do drugs will do anything and people who are desperate you know, this may be, they're going to violate probation and they're going to end up back in the slammer. Well, you know, that'll motivate you to do a lot of crazy stuff, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess but what it was I'm very saying. very creative. I, I admire the creativity yeah. of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I guess what I'm saying for people listening is that like there is an, a cottage industry that's coming up for selling clean urine. And yep. if you need some, I'm Alex Dolan and this is Thrill Seekers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i have to pee often yeah. so you know, you know, yes, yeah, I, i'm very, that, I'm you very know. well
0: hydrated um, <laughs> by the way since we're since we, we took the conversation in this direction we should give a quick shout out to our common friend kimberly cameron um, oh, yeah. so kimberly if you're listening to this um, happy new year kimberly and i hope to see you at one of the upcoming writer conferences kimberly cameron a fantastic literary agent uh, uh and, she's and the best. It is yeah, she'll be at left person. coast
1: crime. We'll be down there in San Diego.
0: So. Well, you guys must be going to Con. It's right in our and backyard. Then
1: ba- and then BoucherCon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I know, later in the year. Yeah. 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 I love Kimberly. She's the only agent I ever had, the only one I ever want. And, uh, God, we've known each other for 25 years now. It's uh, it's amazing.
0: She is a very special person.
1: Yeah. Yes, she is.
0: Yeah. Um, I did want, I remind me, do you still practice medicine? cuz
1: I do I'm, uh yeah. I go a couple of days a week to the office. I don't do hospital work or procedures anymore, but I practice office-based cardiology now and uh and it gives me plenty of plenty of time to write. So uh,
0: I was going to ask. I mean, it's a very demanding job, so I didn't know if you it was tough to carve out time.
1: No, after 50 years I know how to do it. But Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. It's uh <laughs> Yeah, but, but I, you know, I, I like that. I enjoy that. That's what I was trained to do. And I love practicing medicine. I love my patients. So I'm not anywhere near ready to give that up.
0: Do you ever, do your patients know that you also write? And do you ever have Most anyone were. comment that like this case better not make it into the next?
1: <laughs> no, because I, I don't write medical thrillers. But they know that. <laughs> but, uh... But they bring books in to sign all the time. They're always asking me what I'm working on and when the oh, cool. books coming. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't make a secret out of it. Uh, you know, you always take credit. You always take blame.
0: <laughs> I, I want to go go back to skin in the game for a second. So this also kind of takes us through a basically a small rural bucolic town. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like something that i love because i I feel like it's kind of part of american folklore in a way there's something inherently creepy (laughs) about these idyllic small towns and uh I, i don't know i guess my question was like what do you what do you think makes it why do you think that that's such an enduring trope
1: um i um I pretty much set all my books in small towns. Uh, uh, I, the Dub Walker series was set mostly in Huntsville where I grew up, which is not a big city, but it's not a small town. I think it's moved to number two or, or, or. I think well, it's and, and Montgomery quite a, quite a
0: famous town in its own right. As being yeah. A- yeah.
1: It's got a space program and all that stuff. Yeah but, yeah. yeah. but, but it's not like New York or Miami or LA or something like that, where, where everybody knows those towns and crime, doesn't make the first 20 pages of the newspaper. But in a small town, you take a town of five to 20,000 people, pretty much everybody knows everybody. And uh, everybody knows who's on the city council, and who the mayor is, and they probably know them personally. They know the police. Everybody eats you know, at the same diner and drinks coffee from the same coffee shop. Everybody knows everybody. So a crime there, the ripple effects, the collateral damage is huge. And I like that. I like the fact that it affects the entire community, whatever's going on, because then it makes the crime personal, real, and scary. You know, somebody gets murdered in New York. I mean, it's almost like, who cares?
0: It's like, it's well, welcome to it Tuesday.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's terrible for the people involved, but for the population in general, when you've got millions of people, it, it doesn't make a blip. Right. But if you got 5,000 people, huge
0: that's a really good point yeah um i think that like as we're uh, this is like a good thing to close on um (laughs) i want john
1: John Saul, the horror writer always said that he said his stories in small towns because the cops are stupid now i don't think he really meant it that way what he meant is they don't have the, the the equipment the skills the experience the labs the the, the technology, the, the, the backup, the, the the force strength, they don't have any of that stuff. They're basically, you know, Andy and Barney running around trying to solve a problem. And, and I think that is, that draws people in more so than, you know, a, a, a big city cop. But that's my bias, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I also wonder if there's a little bit of of uh, because there's no infrastructure, there's no. It, it's kind of yeah. like the the there's the also another thriller trope, basically where in the first three chapters you have to figure out why somebody can't just use their cell phone and call the cops. Right. <laughs> um, but um, in the, in the same way, you know, somebody without you know in a small town, you kind of have to work with your own wits, and you're not well. no one's
1: gonna save you yeah but regardless of what you said I'm going to tell you modern technology has really made uh crime writing more difficult because there is DNA and because there are cell phone and computer tracking, and no one is isolated anymore there's cameras everywhere. If you set a story back in the fifties or sixties, none of that stuff existed none of that stuff existed they couldn't trace phone calls you know uh, tapping a phone was an ordeal now they can do it with a you know, a punch of a button, and uh, they can't track you. They don't know where you are. You have to be seen. You can't be, you know, your car will tell on you every minute of every day. So will your cell phone. And uh, so it makes crime fiction writing technically more difficult now because you've got to be aware of all of that stuff. I don't care if you're writing a cozy. You've got to be aware of all that stuff, and it changes how the characters move around and it changes how they can be tracked it's it, it's it's more sophisticated now it's more difficult to get away with stuff
0: i agree with everything you're saying but there's also i i will politely um also bring up a counterpoint which is that there is something about new technology that i feel like it does create certain opportunities where sure. like the let's take gps there, there are opportunities for misdirection that didn't exist before. So you can yeah. track some a device on GPS, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're tracking who you think you're tracking.
1: Um, yeah, well, I'm working so they, on the next Jake yeah. book, and it deals with stalking. And I mean, the technology available for stalkers right now is scary. Right, how, right. How, but how, I, yeah. I also
0: feel like there's an opportunity for crime writers to embrace technology because right. I think, like, I think a lot of a lot of writers were technophobic because it did, it was hard to get away with the things that you could get away with decades ago. But I also think like people that really start to learn about the technology, there's more, there's more stuff you can do now. There's like, there, there's an opportunity to create tension and um, and like I said, misdirection in a way that we thought of before and like for anyone who doubts me go watch black mirror like they do a great job with that um i don't know so i think it's kind of like a double double double-sided
1: absolutely thing for me and there's still corners you can hide in it's just those corners are smaller right right (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you know people get away with stuff all the time
0: and that's the the thing that I, i like about people who do that well though is like because we've come to think of new technology as being almost infallible, when it becomes fallible, it's that much more shocking for readers.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but it takes more yeah. research.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, definitely. It takes
1: more research and it takes more, you got to keep more balls in the air. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it more difficult. But also, as you pointed out, more fun.
0: I, well, since we're talking about this, so you also run uh, Craft Fest at the. I did. I, I turned
1: gym. it over to. I have turned it over to Kathy Antrim after 14 years. Ran, oh, did that uh, just happen? Did, yeah, did you... it'll be this this year. She'll be running oh, it okay. in July. Oh, okay. So, uh, but I ran it from from its beginning 14 years ago. That and and uh our master class and our online thriller school and you know it was a big job. It was a year-round job, and uh, so I kind of bowed out and like i said after 14 years and turned all that over to kathy and she's going to do fantastic
0: oh, fantastic that's Okay, right
1: up her alley she can do that
0: uh and i guess last last thing um so you have you been working consulting on tv shows lately
1: um no not in a while uh oh, okay I, I did that for, for a while but nothing none of the new ones uh, uh the writers i worked with have moved on to novels <laughs> Oh, nice! Uh, okay. like lee goldberg you know he, he he's off on novels now but we still i still help him with novels from time to time and and he's so prolific it's frightening but uh seems like he's got a new novel like every 20 minutes and uh so he keeps me busy still
0: all right great i want to remind everybody we've been talking to dp lyle uh, go out and buy skin in the game and uh, for people that want to know more about you, other than, you know, going to their local bookstore, what's the best way for them to to go online and find out?
1: Uh, uh, dplylemd.com, dplylem And from there, you can connect with all my books and my blog and, and, and my show on Authors on the Air, Criminal Mischief, and uh, the radio show that Jan Burke and I did, Crime and Science Radio for many years. All those shows are on there if you go to my website you can pretty much find everything perfect
0: all right and as a reminder you're listening to thrill seekers i'm alex dolan and we've been talking to doug lyle dp lyle uh doug great having you on again and nice talking to you
1: always a pleasure anytime you know that